All right, good evening. It's time to get started on our weekly Wednesday night Bible class. It's great to see everybody here tonight. It's very encouraging to see all of you coming uh, to class to study. First Corinthians, probably one of the more challenging books in the New Testament, probably because as we've learned over the last couple months, it's probably one of the most challenged churches as well in the New Testament. Tonight's not going to be any different, but remember we started in chapter 12 where he started breaking down spiritual gifts. 13, he talked about uh, love and incorporated that into the motive for spiritual gifts. And then tonight we're going to talk about kind of what we talked about at the beginning, what we alluded to at the beginning, um, but that he has not circled back to until tonight. So before we get started, let's go ahead and say a quick prayer. Father God, we come before you, Lord, we are grateful. God, we are blessed. We are humbled just for the simple fact that you love us. Despite our flaws, despite our shortcomings, God, your grace is sufficient. And your power is made perfect in weakness. Lord, I just pray that uh, as we go through 1 Corinthians chapter 14, um, that you... Give us the courage to speak, to share what we think, and just help us to edify and build each other up, just like it says over and over in chapter 14. That's what we're here for. That's what you created the church for, a body that builds itself up, a body that's capable of doing all the work that you have set before us. So I just pray tonight as we go through 1 Corinthians 14 that you guide our hearts, you guide our minds, Lord, that you that you have control of the conversation. We thank you so much for Jesus, for the sacrifice he made on the cross, for the love that he shared for each one of us by taking our place on that cross. And it's through his name we pray. Amen. All right, 1 Corinthians 14, as we uh, just said a little bit, 12, 13, and 14 are really all kind of in the same context, all really talking about spiritual gifts. And some of what we will talk about tonight We'll go all the way back to 12. We'll go all the way back to 13, which is where exactly where we start. Verse 1, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So he says pursue love and then earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. And we know from chapter 13 that your spiritual gifts without love are what? They're nothing, right? They're worthless. They're meaningless. They don't... They don't bring anything to the table if the motive, if the reason for them isn't from a place of love. And now I want you to see that he accents prophecy, okay? Especially that you may prophesy, all right? Because he's going to get into a little debate here on what's, what's more important. Verse 2, for the one who speaks in tongues, in a tongue, speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to the people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So as you can see, the first thing he's making the point of is, who's tongues for? If you speak in tongues, who are tongues for? Who's, who's speaking in tongues for? Unbelievers? Unbelievers? Um, that's true when we get up here. 
in this verse, who's speaking in tongues for? Okay. Who, in this verse right here, I put it in green so it wouldn't be difficult. Who is speaking in tongues for? For the person speaking in Yeah, and for God, right? It comes from God and it's to God. Who else is going to understand it? That's going to be his point in a minute. All right? And then if you prophesy, who's the prophecy for? Everybody else. Okay. So you've got a tongue that is for God and you've got a prophecy that is for everybody else. That is for building up for encouragement and consolation. All right. Verse four, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Again, when you speak in a tongue, who are you building up? Yourself. When you speak, when you speak a prophecy, who are you building up? The church. Okay. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So it seems to me, based on the writing, the way Paul writes to the church in Corinth, that the gift, the greater gift, if you will, that the gift that everybody is pursuing, the one that awes and wonders the crowd is speaking in tongues. Yes? Okay. All right. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's very similar to what he is saying right here. He's saying, I, I want all of you to speak in tongues, but let me ask you a question. In the New Testament church, did everybody speak in tongues? No, right? Does everyone speak in tongues? That's chapter 12, right? Is everyone a, a prophet? That's chapter 12 as well, right? Okay. So, even though he's saying he wants everyone to speak in tongues, he says, even more than that, I want you to prophesy. Why would he say that? Why would he say that? Who's speaking in tongues for? God and themselves. Who's prophesying for? The people in the church, right? The people in the church. Chuck? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. I mean, again, it would be pretty amazing. You could say a really good sermon. Sermon's amazing, right? Oh, everybody gets pumped up. You can tell when we've had a really good sermon on a Sunday morning, right? The church kind of sticks around a little bit longer. It seems like people are buzzing a little more. It seems like there's a little bit more encouragement happening. The preacher knows when he's done really good or when he hasn't done really good because he can tell in your reaction. It's true. You can see it. If you observe it, you can, it's observable. 
But again, if I were to come up here and speak to you in a language that I had never spoke before, never studied before, was able to speak, how much more might you want to listen? How much more might you be impressed? Especially, especially if there's somebody in the crowd who goes, I know exactly what language that is. That's this, and this is what he said. And this is similar to what is going on in the New Testament. So you can see why the normal sermon, if you will, versus the, the person who can speak in tongues is getting so much attention. Now, why is preaching a sermon in the New Testament prophecy? They didn't have the New Testament. Very good, Mike. They didn't have the New Testament. So a lot of what people were speaking in the church, especially during the New Testament times, was not written. It hadn't been written yet, right? Before, before Paul wrote to Corinth, the church was established. Before they even had letters to direct them on how they should be, the church of Corinth had already been established. Okay? So, we need to think about that as we're going through this because prophecy, the way we understand it from an Old Testament perspective, typically talks about something that is going to happen in the future. Okay, And prophecy from this perspective, I think, runs into also the gifts of, of knowledge and wisdom. And it's understanding what God wants to be said, even before it was written down. <clears throat> Something to tie in there. Anybody want to add to that real quick before we move on? All right. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? You see what he did right there? He's bringing in all that stuff. And he's actually using prophecy to give validation to tongue. To give validation to the speaking of tongues. Mike, you're excited tonight. Go ahead. He's following the, the, the usefulness of it. You can speak in tongues, but unless you've got a revelation, knowledge, prophecy, that they understand. Tongues aren't the, the, the big thing. Yeah. The others are. Yeah. Every spiritual gift without the motive of love, and not the love for yourself, but the love for God and the love for others, right? Every spiritual gift is meaningless without that, without that motive. Okay? So... Now, brothers, if, you come, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy? I just like how he uses that idea of prophecy in speaking in tongues, right? Or teaching. If even lifeless instruments such as a flute or a harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And then he continues. And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. You're going to be speaking to no one. If I sit up here and go, how long are you going to sit in here and listen to me? It might mean something to somebody. It might mean something to God. But what does it mean to you? It means, right? It's like when you hear a foreign language. Um, the other day I went to lunch with uh, Kevin from the youth group. And we were, at a, um, we were at La Marimba. And as we were coming out, another uh, 
Latino man, he said, hey, do you speak Spanish? Well, I knew he wasn't talking to me, right? So I kind of pointed to Kevin, and Kevin turned around, and they started to speak. And actually, the guy spoke so quickly at first that even Kevin was having a hard time interpreting, right? But for me, even though I know pequeño, a little bit of Spanish, right? I was lost. It was just sounds. It was just noise, all right? He says this, and if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? Have you heard the difference between a rally cry from a bugle and a retreat cry from a bugle? You guys ever heard the, the famous bugle sound that you associate with the army? Right? That's not go to bed. Right? That's get up. Get ready. In the same, there's a famous, uh, famous uh, charge sound that comes from the cavalry. I don't remember it off the top of my head. It's something similar to what I just did, though. A retreat sound, a little different. But what if I just got up there in the middle of a battle and just started blowing on a horn? Just whatever note came to me. Just whatever button I wanted to push. That's what he's describing here when he's talking about speaking in tongues. He's describing a group of people that are sitting around and they're listening to somebody and they see something, but they're not really sure what's happening. They're not really sure what's happening. Now that's interesting, then we're going to get a little bit further here in a couple more verses. Verse 9, So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking again into the air. You're not talking to, you're not talking to anyone. So then he says, There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning, but if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. Now wait. Let's take two steps back real quick. Let's go to Acts chapter 2, the most famous time in speaking in tongues. And let me ask you a question. When they spoke in tongues in Acts chapter 2, did everybody hear unintelligible sounds? They all heard in their own language. They actually understood what was being said. Now I want you to imagine this, because I've been thinking about this a lot. I, I have always grown up believing that even though the disciples were speaking in tongues, right, that there was this moment where Peter stood up and that is what the people heard. That is, that is the moment that is defined in Acts chapter 2. It's his sermon, and he is speaking in a language, if you will, that all the hearers, that all the hearers are hearing in their own language. I want you to imagine this. Some of you might say, no, 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 they were all speaking at the same time. And maybe they all were speaking a language that translated to everybody else's native language, right? So like, for example, if you go down to South America, there's different types of dialect in the Spanish cultures, right? In the Latin cultures, right? And different words mean different things. Like, for example, in Portuguese, do you know what the word coco means? Coco means poop. Why am I telling you this? Because I had a very good friend when I grew up who got adopted from Brazil. And when he moved here, he went to Michigan, and it was freezing cold. 
It was freezing cold in Michigan, so his adopted mother thought, I'm going to do something really nice, because they had just adopted five kids from the same family, right? I'm going to do something really nice. I'm going to make them hot cocoa. And they wouldn't drink it. And then she started to drink it, and they were like running to the bathroom to go throw up. She didn't understand that there was a difference, right? When she looked it up, it didn't mean that, because there are different dialects. There are different, even differences in language, okay? So you don't want to make people a foreigner. These people didn't feel like foreigners in Acts chapter 2, did they? Did those people feel like foreigners in Acts chapter 2? No, they said, how is it that we're all hearing in our own native language, right? In the tongue that we were born speaking in. So I, I think there's something very interesting going on here. And I will even challenge you before the end of tonight to find me a time in Scripture where somebody uttered meaningless and unintelligibly. Find me a time. Find me a time. Okay? Because I, I want to bring that I want to bring that up now because we're getting into the heavier part of chapter 14 when it comes to this debate that Paul's having between prophecy and speaking in tongues. And how everybody's being drawn to this idea of speaking in tongues. But prophecy is actually the better of the two gifts, the more important of the two gifts. Verse 12. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. He's coming back. It's like a, it's like a good um, thesis statement, if you will, right? He's coming back to the whole point. 12, 13, 14. Almost all of it could be wrapped up in this verse. So with yourself, since you are eager for manifestation of the spirits, strive, strive, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. Why is an interpreter important? Be here. <laughs> I don't want you to leave. <laughs> That's true. Okay, well, hopefully Rosen didn't hear me saying all that. Um, all right. Maybe back up a, a, a little bit just so we know what we're talking about. We are talking about. <laughs> I don't know if I got that one. I don't know if I got that one. Verse 3. Okay, just hit the reset. We're going to go back to verse 1. I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, just remember what we were talking about before the feed fell out was if there's no communication, then there's no point. If there's no edification, if there's no building up of the body, there's no point. And if the motive's not out of love, then it's pointless and it's, it's meaningless. That's, that's as good of a summary as I could give you based on what we got so far. All right? Yeah. And, um, if you speak in tongues, you should pray that he may interpret. Yeah. And I was thinking about even if you're speaking the same language, sometimes people don't understand. That's true. And that's one of the reasons why we have so many parables in the Bible, I think. Because we just don't understand, and that's to help us to understand. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes a little uh, parable, a little story that we all deal with goes a long way in communication. You're right about that. All right, so... Again, verse 12, 
is a good summary, okay? Just catching the video stream back up here. So with, with yourself, since you're eager for manifestations of the spirits, in other words, you're excited to get your spiritual gifts, strive to excel in building up the church. If you're not building up the church, you're not using the gift for what it was made for. Verse 14, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. And then he finishes with this. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. So is he saying that when these people are uttering and they're murmuring that they're, they're not doing anything at all? Does he pronounce judgment? I want you to see this. Does he pronounce judgment? It doesn't seem like that, right? And Paul's pretty straight shooter. Normally, he would just pronounce judgment on something. Right? But that's not what he does. Instead, he says, hey, when you're doing that, when you're praying in tongues, the other person can't say amen. Why? Because they have no idea what you're saying. What's amen mean? It means I agree. That's what amen means. I agree. Has nothing to do with man or woman. It's just I agree. That's all it is. Okay? So he's saying, I can't, how can anybody say they agree if they don't have any understanding of what you're saying? Yet again, though, I want to point out when Jesus taught us to pray, how did he teach us to pray? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know what's so interesting about 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is I can't really find any, and I've searched, I've searched hard preparing for this class. I can't really find any scriptural context for the type of speaking in tongues that Paul's talking about. Mike? The pagans did. The pagans did it. Yeah, the prophets of Baal are a good example. Uh, when Elijah had a confrontation, uh, the pagan language was really wild. Nobody understood it except the high priests. Okay. I got a question. I'm praising God in his spirit, speaking in tongue. I'm sorry, say that again. Are you calling praising God in the spirit, speaking in tongue? Um, not based on what this is describing, no. This is describing what I believe the Church of Corinth thinks is they can speak in the language of angels. Verse 6, we're, well, Bertha, we're not there yet. Oh, oh Lord. You know, this class always jumps ahead. You notice that? Everybody's always five verses ahead. Can we just get there? For, no, I'm just kidding. Say it again. It says, what am I to do? Mm -hmm. I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. Oh, I guess it's not my spirit. Yeah, no, I think he's comparing... What he's been talking about with prophesying, okay, and using intelligible words and making powerful arguments and that sort of thing with this idea of tongues and utterance, okay? And when you pray in tongues, potentially what he's saying is nobody else knows what you're saying. 
So when I pray, I'm not just going to pray in tongue. I'm going to pray with my mind. In other words, I'm going to make communication that is intelligible. I'm going to make communication that can be understood by everybody else. Right? Chuck? 15 are also saying, it says, my mind is unfruitful. In other words, I don't even understand it. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm talking in tongue, but I don't know what I'm saying. Yeah, well, I mean, you're so, right. So he's saying, you're not even building up yourself. At that particular point, you don't even know what you're saying. Yeah. As well as anybody else, if it's audible, they don't know what you're saying. So you don't build anybody up when you do it in tongues. So do it, it where people can understand it. Yeah. And you can understand it. Yeah, I think, and, and again, we talked about this. I think really more a couple weeks ago in chapter 12, right? There was a time and a place for tongues. There was actually a necessity for tongues, right? Paul went all over the place. Was he a master of all language? But he preached to everybody, didn't he? So there was a time and a place. In fact, later he's going to say, I speak in tongues more than any of y'all. Okay? So there was a time and a place for it. And it was a necessity. But if there's not a time and a place for it, then it's not a necessity. And really... I think the ultimate conclusion in 1 Corinthians 14 is it's not necessary at all. Um, anybody else? I thought I saw. No? Okay. So verse 16, otherwise if you give, so wait, Bertha, you were saying with the singing, right? Praying in the spirit. Is that speaking in tongue? Is that what you're thinking? I, I think that they are praying in tongues. In this chapter, I think that's what it's discussing, that even if I pray in tongues, right? So that could have been in front of the congregation, right? That they were praying in tongues. And I want to go back to what Chuck said as well before I move back into this, because I, I want to give you a good analogy based on uh, what Paul just said. But even here in verse 13, what you just said, Chuck, I mean, it's obvious, right? If I speak in a tongue, I should also pray for an interpreter, or I shouldn't pray for an interpretation, right? Because somebody needs to interpret what I just said, because not even I know what I just said. Susan. You know, it brings a point to things I hear a lot in the modern church, right? Where um, I've heard guys who've wrote many books and, and have very big names and followings, right? Where they talk about, you know, um, how important it is to feed the hungry and take care of the widows and everything else, right? And, th and that is so true. There is no doubt that that is not, that that is accurate. But... If we feed them and we don't give them the word, 
what are we doing? Right? If we take care of the widow or if we reach out to the person who has a different language, this is what made me think of it, right? And I do these nice things for them, what are they going to think? They're going to think, wow, this is a really nice person. It's not going to bring them any closer to God. And the ultimate goal is to bring people closer to God. The ultimate goal is to teach people Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate goal of the church. Mike? Uh, there are times Jesus ran into people, helped them, but evidently didn't explain who he was. Uh, the ten lepers would be an example. Nine of them, they didn't look at him as Christ because they just went and their way and got what they wanted. Uh, if you help people, at times they see Jesus in you. Well, I mean, that's fair that they can see Jesus in me, but I don't, I don't think if they know who they're looking for, that's not, they're not going to just automatically make the connection that, oh, that person's being Jesus unless they've been taught Jesus. They know we're different. Okay. I can tell the difference between a good person and a bad person. And I can be good and I can be bad. But what's going to get me to heaven? story most of you heard it. I went golfing on a, every Saturday three coal miles. One with my partner and the other two partners. And we played for a coke at the end of nine holes. And I played so bad. Just so bad. By the eighth hole on the first Saturday they said, you're a preacher. And I said, how did you know? They said, hey, anyone who plays as bad as you do and doesn't cuss, he has to be a preacher. <laughs> I never preached to them. Yeah, but they grew up in a culture where they recognized the difference between the world and the church, or someone of the world and someone in the church. I never preached to them. Yet I baptized both of them. So I'm saying that there can be just the Christian example. Uh, we had somebody here Sunday comes to our food pantry. He's so you wait. Let me reverse for a minute. So you baptized them without preaching them the gospel? Okay. That's just nice to them. We talked, and uh, I usually pay for the coats. <laughs> I pay for the coats so I go golfing with Mickey too. Chad. So they they kind of knew who Mike was through his actions. Yeah. But it didn't bring him any closer to the church, like you said. Now, if Mike would have looked at the guy, whoever it was, and said, hey, the way you've been swearing, you should come to church. You know, I mean, <laughs> I mean you, know, you, know, bring, you know what I'm saying? Bring them closer, you know? Tell them there's a place, not just, you know, a, a free bag of groceries or, or I'm paying your rent for the day. But sometimes you've got to be bold and tell them where it comes from, not just a good person. Yeah, no, and listen, I'm not saying that you have one and you have the other and they're not, they're not, what I'm saying is they can't be mutually exclusive. They can't be to me, right? I don't do things, I don't do good things to people to try to get them here at the church. I do good things to people because I follow a good Lord and the good Lord tells me to do good things to people, right? But if I never share my faith with those people, that I'm doing good things too and building relationship with, then to me I'm missing half of the half of the conversation I'm supposed to have. 
Because it's not Matt Robinson or Matt Robinson's example that's actually what people should follow is Jesus Christ. So if they're looking at me and coming to Christ through me, that's fine. People, you, you have seen Jesus in people many times. I'm not discrediting that. Okay? I'm not discrediting that. I'm just saying you got, you got to have both to me. Susan? Right. That's why they were so hung up on all these things. But what had happened is their motivation for having these things was the problem. Right. And when dad was in Korea, that was way back before everybody had Bibles. If he had not told them about it, they would never have known. It was just another American giving them chocolate bars. Yeah. Because they worship, their worship is totally different. They didn't have access in the United States. We have the Bible. We have places where people can access Jesus and God. At that time when he was in Korea, that didn't exist. They didn't have Bibles. It was strictly that, and that's why it was so important for him to have an interpreter. And Absolutely. Of course they did nice things for him before they would sit and listen. Sure. But and, and I think that that's just you know, everything is a little different situation. But, and that's just, you know, this just brings home my dad's life experience. And I, I understand hey. there are different situations. Yeah. But missionaries overseas Run into sometimes things we don't run into in the United States. That's for sure. Yeah. Okay, so going back to this one real quick. Okay, go ahead. Hey, um, during life, as we grow spiritually, plenty of opportunities out there to let our light shine. Not always are those opportunities, let's talk about the Bible, let's uh, praise Jesus, invite somebody to church. Sometimes those opportunities are just out there going, doing good things, and somebody saying there's something different about you. Absolutely. And planting that seed later on could inspire a conversation where somebody wants to find out what's different or really pays attention to you to see what's really different. It's not always uh, inspiring somebody through our words to come to church or to recognize Jesus and all the blessings we have. Sometimes it's just enjoying the blessing of being a Christian out there. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I'm not saying these things are mutually exclusive, right? I don't think I've ever brought anyone to Christ myself that I didn't already have a good relationship with, that I didn't already show them a different side of me versus what they get in the world, right? And that's actually usually what makes people hungry. I'm not denying any of that. I'm just saying... We can feed everybody in Titusville. And that would be a good thing. But our mission is not to feed everybody in Titusville. Our mission is to give everybody Jesus, bring the gospel, the good news. Okay? That's, again, they're not mutually exclusive. You can do both. You can do both. And they don't always have to be at the same time. Let me say that too. Okay? I'm not saying that we need to all of a sudden go to the food giveaway and make people fill out a questionnaire before they can get their food. I didn't say that. Okay? They not have to be. They're not mutually exclusive, though. To me, that's an important part. So, going back to the text in the context of spiritual gifts, um, verse fifteen: What I am to do, I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Okay. So, have you ever been in a moment where you've? sang a song, you were singing a song before you realized you were singing a song? And all of a sudden it's like, oh, I'm singing. You ever do that? 
No, never once. Maybe it's just people with ADD. Um, happens to me quite often. In fact, sometimes for me, I'll start singing a song in the car that I didn't even know I really knew the words to. Okay? Because there are times where you are engaged, but not fully engaged, right? It's a, it's a part of the struggle that we have at times, even in our own worship, even in our own worship times, right? That's why we pray that we get the distractions out and things like that, right? You can sing in your spirit, but you can also sing with your mind, right? You go, you go to church. Some of us know these songs. We don't even have to look at the, we don't have to look at the words, right? We can sing them in our sleep. And sometimes it's tempting to do just that while we're at church, right? Sing it, but we're thinking about something else. We're not engaging in our mind to what we're singing, what the song is trying to bring out in your spirit, right? There's two ways to do it. And I think that's what Paul, he's bringing that together here. And actually what he says is you can pray in the spirit. I'm going to pray in my spirit and in my mind. He doesn't say, I'm going to just pray in the spirit. He actually says, I'm going to pray in my spirit and in my mind and then follows it with this. Okay, just trying to clear that up a little bit, Bertha. I don't know if that helped you or not. Verse 16, we got to move a little bit. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in a position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? For you may be given thanks well enough, but the other person is being built up. We already covered that a little bit. Verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. See, I told you he was going to say that. Verse 19, nevertheless, in, a, in church, I would rather speak five words. Look what he does right here. In, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. How do you speak with the tongue and not have your mind engaged? All the time, right? All the time, right, Mike? It's true. That's true. It's talking, it's talking about a language that you don't understand either. That's right. That's exactly what it's talking about. The language where you need an interpreter so you can know what it's saying, right? That's right. I still like where you're going with that, Mike. I like where you're going. All right, anybody, before we move on, five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. That's a pretty drastic difference, isn't it? I speak with my mind. I'm speaking out loud like I am now. Yeah. Are you thinking about what you're going to say? Yeah. That's what it's talking about. Yeah. That's what it's talking about, yeah. All right, verse 20, brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. In the law, it is written by people of strange tongues, and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So, completely off, off topic of the context of the scripture, but I love being infants of evil, but being mature in our thinking. Carl. One thing I try to do to help, you know, people from like Pentecostal churches understand that, you know, what I believe is their gibberish is not the speaking in tongues of the Bible is, I'll tell them to use Google Translate. Speak into Google Translate. If a sentence from another language comes out, then you spoke in tongues. If not, you know, you don't, you don't have the gift. 
And I have to try to be careful with it because they, they think it's the Holy Spirit, so I don't want to hurt their conscience, you know. But, I mean, I, that's, we have Google Translate now. Uh, that's, I've never heard that before. That's hilarious. Um, I, uh, yeah, that's, you have a translator on your phone. Anyway, interpreter. <clears throat> so what do you guys think about uh, infants and evil thinking, but you're thinking to be mature? What do you think about that? How can you be an infant and evil? Go ahead, Chuck. And plot what they're going to do wrong. That, that would be an infant. An infant and evil, it means you aren't sitting there thinking about how you can do things wrong, how you can go away from God, how you can do whatever. You yeah. know, they, they just react. Hungry, hungry. Dirty, dirty. Tired, leave me alone, I want to go to sleep. Maybe I won't go to sleep. Maybe I won't just irritate you for the next hour. Mm -hmm. but, but there's not a forethought with a child. They're infants, and as far as evil, they don't have evil plans, evil plots, evil schemes. They don't have any of that. And that's what he's saying is you shouldn't be doing any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. But when you think about God and, and drawing close to him, that you need to mature in. Not, you know, because he did, well, I, I think it's in Ephesians where he says, you know, you, you, have, you should be on meat, but you're still on milk. Mm -hmm. Well, the thinking of mature is you're, you're in the meat. You understand more than just the gospel. You understand more about God, and you're, you're becoming more and more mature in your understanding of God. So, you know, that, that's the contrast that I think Paul's talking about here. I love what you just said there, because I, when I think of infant, I think of reaction. Right? Everything's just a reaction. They're just reacting. And you're right, they're not plotting. About three years old, they start plotting, though. Maybe even, maybe even younger if you've got an intelligent child, right? <coughs> Excuse me. So true. Um, but from the flip side, too, just from what you said, just because it inspired a thought in my head, I'm just going to say it. Um, how much are we plotting to do good? In our day-to-day -day lives, how much are we plotting to do good to others, for others, right? For ourselves even. How much are we actually plotting? I mean, I think that's just interesting the way you said that. I like that. Um, all right, verse 21. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this, this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. That's what's happening in, in the New Testament time. That is literally what's happening, right? People, foreigners are being converted. Foreigners are coming over with spiritual gifts and foreigners are speaking to the Jews at this time and they're not listening. They're saying, your Messiah that you've been telling everybody is coming, he has come, it's Jesus Christ, and they're not listening. That's literally what's happening right now. And he's saying not only that, but it was prophesied. They know they're living in this time if they read their Bible. Because this is exactly what's happening. But even then, even still, even still, they won't listen to me. And you know, I was also thinking again back to Acts chapter 2. Just that comment. Are these men not 
Galileans. Right? They were, you, it's, it's no different than the world we live in today. If you're not an expert at something, you really don't have a say in how things are. Right? You have to go to this school. You have to get this degree. And then you're an expert. And then you're the only one in the room that actually can know what's really happening. And that stuff's kind of thrown around in the same way. And all of a sudden, the truth is coming from the place nobody expected it to come from. The person that doesn't have the education, the person that doesn't have the background, the person that's from Galilee. Like, nothing good has ever come from Galilee. Chuck. Yeah. Hey. Second time. Second cheap shot. Yeah. What do they know? They're just fishermen. By the people of strange tongues and the lips of foreigner, I would speak this people comes out of Isaiah. So it's a direct quote from Isaiah. Yeah, it's prophecy, exactly. All right, we're almost done here. We're going to finish on time, everybody. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers, now somebody said this at the very beginning of class, so somebody was reading way ahead, and that's awesome. Good job. I'm glad people are coming prepared and reading beforehand. It's a great thing. Um, verse 23, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, they will not say that you are out of, will they not say that you are out of your minds? So if we're all in here speaking gibberish and everybody who comes up is speaking gibberish and nobody else understands and there's no interpreter and everybody's just speaking gibberish, again, how long are you going to sit in this building listening to everybody speaking gibberish? Not very long. Chuck? You did that? <laughs> you have. Mm -hmm. It's creepy. <laughs> is it? It's creepy. I mean, I've seen it on video, but no, I've never... Right in the pew, and the girls next to you that you came with is also sitting there speaking in tongues. The whole congregation is talking in tongues. It wasn't me. <laughs> okay. Okay. So this is, so that brings real, to real life terms that Paul's talking about. And I was in the middle, so was, I couldn't leave. I was stuck. And you were thinking... Get me out of this place. You guys are out of your minds. Okay. Chad? It's kind of, Mike said something a little while ago that kind of made me think. So when people are speaking in tongues and you don't understand, it would be like some preachers, if I'm not mistaken, when they are preaching something that you can't comprehend. And, and I'm talking like people like uh, uh, Jonestown. You know, he, he has followers. If you and I were sitting in there, it would be like he was speaking in tongues, and, right? Because we would not agree with 90% of the stuff he was preaching. So, well, he, well, he's preaching a message of hate, right. clothed in the veil of love, yeah. Mike said Sure. I, um, what you just made me think about is why Martin Luther, all them years back, went and nailed his 99 Thesis on the, on the door of the Vatican. And it's because they were reading the Bible in Latin to people who did not speak Latin. So what was it doing for them? What were they learning? 
how is the body being built up in that? Um, similar to what you were saying right there. Um, yeah, that's... So when I've seen it, for the record, it's like one person at a time. You're saying that you've been in situations where like everybody's just... That would be interesting. It wasn't interesting. That would be interesting. William. You know, I think the conclusion of the chapter, it, God is trying to show us how to worship him and how to edify the body. And, and, and it's like a worship. It, it's, it's praying. It's uh, singing. It's, uh, I guess it's uh, preaching and teaching. Mm -hmm. and, and so that's all part of the worship. It's not as exclusive where one person can do it for everybody. It's inclusive where we all need to do it together and grow together and understand together. And that's, that ties us or bonds us together in love. Yeah, yeah. So let me finish where we're going to finish right here. Um, these are my last couple of verses right here. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. Why? Because the word of the Lord is sharp, cuts straight to the heart, right? Um, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, cuts straight to the heart. And so falling on his face... Why would somebody fall on their face? Yeah, they're convicted. They're showing reverence. They might even be showing shame or repentance, right? Kneeling, if you will, showing authority to God. He will worship God and declare that God is really among you. See, there's a huge difference between the person that shows up to the church that's speaking in tongues and surrounding the one guy who has no idea what anybody's saying Versus the church that's prophesying and not just using their spirit or the spirit of God, but also their mind. Um, yeah. Any other comments really quickly? Let me summarize this for one moment, if I might. We start out in chapter 12, okay, because we're going to get into orderly worship in the next part of 14, all right? But we started out in chapter 12 where Paul is talking about how everybody is different and everybody has been uniquely fitted with these different spiritual gifts and these different spiritual gifts and, and each of us individually, collectively make up this whole body, right? And, and, and like I said in my prayer before we started, that body is capable of doing the work of the church that's been set before it, all right? In this particular part of the body, being North Brevard Church of Christ, right? We all have different gifts. Every one of us is built different. We were made different. We were created to be different. And therefore, we also have different gifts, right? And some of you might look at some people and say, my gifts are not as great as others. Or some of you might look at some people and go, my gifts are way greater than theirs. But the reality is, is God has individually called each of us collectively to this spot, to this place, at this time. To do the work that he's prepared before us. And believe it or not, there's something in this church, in the work of this church, 
that only you can do. I can't do it. Nobody else in this room can do it. Only you can do it. Because it's the task that God put before you. It also brings back that thought where he says, hey, we sit here and we look at certain gifts and we've got some elevated and some, you know. And then, and then Paul switches it up and says, hey, some of these lesser gifts are actually some of the most important parts. Right? Like encouragement. Encouragement is probably one of the most important things that the church does for itself. The bond of Christ, the unity of faith that we have, the encouragement that we get from each other. And some of you are really good encouragers. Right? And some of you, you have the gift of encouragement. But we're all called to be encouragers. We're all called to encourage. Don't get caught up to where you think you only have one talent. Don't get caught up and think you figured out your one gift. So that means unless it fits into this situation, God's not calling me to do it. It takes the entire body working together collectively using all their gifts and talents, all the fruits of the Spirit, right? All of that stuff to do the entire work that the Lord has prepared before us. Everything is accomplishable if we're all working together. That's 12 through 14 to me. But it's all got to be surrounded in love. Right? Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. All right? All right. Let's pray out. Let let me pray us out real quick. Father God, we come before you, Lord. Again, we are uh, grateful for this time. I'm I'm so excited, God, that the excitement that I see in the class, just talking about the word of God, your word, just talking about it, the excitement that we have to be here and, and to share what's, what we think and what's going on. I, Lord, that's so healthy. I'm so grateful for that. God, thank you for this body of believers here at North Brevard. Thank you for um, the love and the bond of, of Christ that we share with one another. I pray that we are seeking out opportunities to spread that love, spread that bond, spread that peace and unity uh, amongst the rest of the brothers and sisters of Christ here in this church, and even further than that, into our community through evangelism. God, and I pray if there's anybody here that thinks that they're insignificant, that there's not, they're, they're, they're just here to kind of fill a spot, but don't really have a task, God, I pray that you show them that task. Because I know you have works prepared before us, and you keep having, you keep preparing those works. You've prepared them, but they, they just keep popping up in front of us, Lord. And some of those are mine. Some of those are someone else's. But we all have to step up to do our part, to do everything that you've prepared before us. And you've given us everything we need to do it. We just have to put our faith and hope in you. Bless our church. Bless this body, Lord. Unify this body and help us to build each other up. We thank you so much for Jesus. It's through his name we pray. Amen.